0: We turn in our Bibles then at this time to 1 Thessalonians. First Thessalonians. In this first chapter, we're thinking of seven aspects or dimensions of the people of the church. We'll go on to think of the problems of the church, of the pastor of the church, and of the persecution of the church in this study of First Thessalonians, but we're thinking in this first chapter of the people of the church, church members in Thessalonica, and seven aspects of church membership that uh, indicated here. It's probably been a long time that some of us have written a letter, but letters were a key way of communication in New Testament times. They came in a standard form with an opening of the recipient's name, the, the, the writer's name, and the reader's name, and a greeting. And Paul follows that traditional format in his letter, albeit with some changes to it and the inclusion of Christian theology. What was a standard form, he takes in this opening verse that we're looking at this morning. The writer is there, the readers are there, and a greeting is there in that opening verse. And it's instructive for us that God, in giving his word, he did not bypass the literary formats of his time or or the New Testament time, but he, he utilized that and allowed the apostle, inspired by the Spirit, to bring the Christian theology and message in the format that was popular and current at that time. And so in our time, there are many available tools for promoting the gospel and bringing the message of the gospel to others. The primary method is preaching face-to-face, the gathered church and preaching. Paul would have preferred that to go to Thessalonica, but as we'll see, he couldn't go there because of the, the bond which Jason had paid. He was prohibited from entering the city, but he wrote a letter uh, to supplement his pulpit ministry. And in our time, there are methods and ways in which the gospel can be taken to people alongside of the regular preaching of God's word, and we should use those methods. The church in Thessalonica was founded in Paul's second missionary journey, leaving his home church of Antioch he goes to visit the congregations which, under God, he had established on his first missionary journey Derby, Lystra, Phrygia, Galatia. And then he was called by God in that vision to Macedonia. He came to Philippi in Macedonia. And he was imprisoned there, persecuted there. Would the apostle give up in his mission? Would he pack it in? Would he be discouraged? Would he turn back to his home church and go on with his ministry there? The apostle moves on with stripes on his back to Thessalonica. And he spent three weeks there, Acts 16 states, going into the synagogue and reasoning from the scriptures that Jesus was the Christ who was predicted in those Old Testament scriptures which the Jews gathering at the synagogue used and after three weeks some of the jews believed a considerable number of god-fearing greeks believed and some ladies in positions of authority believed the jews opposed the apostles ministry and teaching and message and they they raised a crowd of protest against them and paul had to leave the city of thessalonica Possibly he was there more than the three weeks that he was in the synagogue. He might have been there a number of months to continue his teaching, to establish elders, as chapter 5 indicates. But it was a relatively short time that the apostle was in Thessalonica. And he's moved on now to the city of Athens. And, and he's writing now from the city of Corinth. Just a few months after being in the city of Thessalonica. And he addresses the problems that they had, and he supplements the ministry that he had given in this letter of 1 Thessalonians, written around 50 A.D., possibly the first and earliest letter of the Apostle Paul. Think, first of all, of the pastoral dimension of the local church, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy. All three of them had been involved in the founding of the Thessalonian church. The first mission team, you remember, comprised Paul, Barnabas, and John, Mark. But on his second missionary journey, the team comprised Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy. And together they had come to Thessalonica and ministered there. And so they are included with Paul at the start of, And opening of this letter. Silas had been a chief leader in the church at Jerusalem. He was a prophet. And he continues with Paul towards the end of his ministry. And he appears in Peter's letter, chapter 5, verse 12, in the city of Rome. Timothy was a young man whom they picked up on their journey at Lystra. Paul describes him as his son, He he loved him much. He was a representative of Paul sent to a number of cities uh, to establish them and refine them and defend the faith. So here is this team, this pastoral team of Paul and Silas and Timothy. And they'd been instrumental under God in founding the church at Thessalonica. But perhaps you're you're sitting there and you're asking, well, well, why does Paul include them in this this opening address in verse 1? There's two reasons why he probably includes them. One is uh, that Silas and Timothy carried the letter of Thessalonians to the church there. And that this is giving them authentication and legitimacy in their work. And another reason is that it assures the Thessalonians that their problems, which had been reported by Timothy back to Paul, had been considered and discussed and thought out. And here is a, a mature response by the pastoral team of Paul and Silas and Timothy. Local congregations have a pastoral dimension. And as I thought of this and considered this, I thought about the prolonged discussion that we had in our church synod about the congregation in Seville. The congregation in Seville has local elders, but our church also has a group of men who are overseeing that local congregation with their local elders. And I couldn't help noticing that that is the very same situation that we have here. Here is Paul and Silas and Timothy. And they are writing about the problems and addressing the problems in a local congregation who have their own local elders. But they are able to give help and direction and instruction. ...in this situation. Presbyterianism requires a plurality... ...of elders. And it's a wise and a a useful arrangement, isn't it? It's not only useful when taking decisions... and, ...and dealing with problems that you have different views... You have discussion and reflection and and conversation about the matters and then the decision is made after the discussion with various groups and parties. The plurality of elders is useful for the session in making their decision but it's also useful for the congregation that they can speak to the man that they are comfortable and sharing their problems with. We're all different. We have different personalities and temperaments and interests and backgrounds. Timothy was young. Paul and Silas were old. Timothy was from a Christian home. Paul was from a Jewish home. Paul was converted late in life. Timothy was converted early in life. And this variety in the leadership allowed the Thessalonian members to connect with the leader that they were comfortable with. A pastoral dimension to the local congregation. Secondly, there's an historical dimension to the local congregation, to the church, verse 1 says, to the church of the Thessalonians. Now this word church is a rich word and it has two connections in our time. And in the Thessalonians' time, it had the connection in the Thessalonians' time to the the common council or assembly that governed each city within the Roman Empire. Every city had its own assembly, its own church. It's the same Greek word. And that church, that assembly, that political assembly it, could, it was made up only of males, the lower classes weren't involved in it, it had the power to change laws, it had the power to elect officials to decide political questions and administer justice, they would congregate and they would worship their local god. That was the local political assembly within Thessalonica and other Roman cities. But here Paul is is writing to the religious assembly, to those who worship the true God, the church. The church also has a connection to the Old Testament as we read in Deuteronomy chapter 9. This is the word that's used of God's people in the Old Testament, the assembly whether it refers to specific times when they met together at Mount Sinai uh, as Deuteronomy 9, or whether it refers to to God's people as they journeyed through the wilderness, as Stephen mentions in his sermon in Acts chapter 7. The church refers to the congregation of God's people in the Old Testament. Now the apostle, writing to the local congregation in Thessalonica, calls them the church church. They are God's gathered people now. They have taken over from Israel. They are the chosen, loved people of God. The church of the Thessalonians. We have the Northern Ireland Assembly in a manner of speaking. The gathered politicians who are meant to meet, uh, to decide issues and rules. But alongside that assembly in Northern Ireland is this assembly, the local church, and many of them throughout our province, those who worship the living and the true God, gather together to honor him and to praise him. And we too have this long historical dimension reaching back into the Old Testament. As we go through Thessalonians, we will see how Paul transfers the language attributable to Jews in the Old Testament to the church, the local church in the New Testament. Verse 4, for example. Loved by God. He has chosen you. We are the church now living for God, representing him in our time. We're familiar with the meaning of church, the various meaning, the visible church, the invisible church. And we know that it's so important, it's ultimately important to belong to the invisible church, to be united to Christ, the head of the church. That's the key and important thing. But the visible church also is important. And for us to gather together as we're doing this morning is critical to our spiritual growth and development and advance in our knowledge and likeness to Jesus Christ, the Church of the Thessalonians. Thirdly, there's a geographical dimension, the Church of the Thessalonians. And we've thought something of this with the, the boys and girls, founded in 351 by Cassander Named after his wife Thessalonica, a daughter of Philip and half-sister of Alexander the Great. 167 BC, when the Macedonians were annexed by Rome and divided into four parts, Thessalonica became the capital of the second district. And when the province was reorganized in 148 BC, it became the capital of the province of Macedonia. So this was historically, geographically, a critical and important city. Had a population in the first century between 1 and 200,000 people located at the northernmost point of the Gulf of Salonika and so it was an important strategic port and this brought immigrants, it brought trade guilds, it brought a whole range of religions to this city. It was considered a, an important and strategic city in the 1st century. Our town also has had a, a long history, going back to St. Finian in 540 when he established the Movilla Monastery, invaded by the Vikings in 842, I think, and then established by Montgomery in 1606 as a town and the Protestant plantation came here and established and furthered and advanced the influence of Newton arts. And here we are now, in our time, in our city, with this geographical dimension, trying to reach out through our notion natter trying to reach out through our nursing home ministry into our town, trying to reach out through our holiday Bible club in July, reaching out into this geographical relation that we have at this time. We are in Christ, but we're also in Newton Arts, planted here for God's purpose, for God's reason, the neighbors beside you, in your houses, your work colleagues, the people who live around us in this street. There's a reason, a purpose an opportunity that God has has us in this place. Our denomination has the vision of a Reformed Presbyterian congregation in every part of Ireland, That, 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 that in all of the counties there will be a Reformed Presbyterian church by 2032, in the 32 counties by 2032, A congregation will be in every county. This is something to pray for. Something to desire. Something to long for. Here's the apostle and he's going to big cities, strategic places, Thessalonica, that bustling seaport, that capital of Macedonia, that place where people were, where needs were, where opportunities were. The church was planted and formed, and he's nurturing it now with this letter to the Thessalonians. We have a geographical dimension to our, our local congregation. Fourthly, we have a spiritual dimension to our local congregation. In God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is, a, this is a tremendous statement, isn't it? He's writing to these new believers who, who a few months ago were, were pagans, were worshipping other gods, and, and now they were converted, and he's describing them in this incredible lofty way. Then God the Father, then the Lord Jesus Christ. It could be understood in an instrumental manner, in the sense that it was by God and Christ's power that this congregation was formed, and we'll see this in our studies. The apostle is thanking God in verse 2 to 10 that God has worked in their hearts. God has been there. He has come down into Thessalonica, and people have repented and believed. His power has been working in their hearts. And so by God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, they've been born again, Brought into the kingdom of God. They have been converted. Paul had preached. They had believed. But through it all, in it all, above it all. God and Jesus were working. Or perhaps we're to understand it in a spatial way. They were in God the Father. And in the Lord Jesus Christ. They're in Thessalonica. They're in Macedonia. They're in Greece. But they're also and God the Father, then the Lord Jesus Christ. They're united spiritually to the triune God now. They've been joined to, to Jesus Christ, the head of his church. They are in him, in a saving and in a personal way. His grace flows to them. His strength will come to them. And this is so crucial for the apostle as he's thinking and going to talk about the persecution, the opposition that hounded him out of the city. It's coming to them, how feeble they are, how will they survive? He's reminding them of the great resources that are theirs, that in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ it is tremendous as we go through the letter, we'll see the, they weren't the finished article yet. There was room for improvement. There's mistakes being made in their theology and in their practice. But the essential thing is that in God the Father, then the Lord Jesus Christ. I think Alcaraz will win Wimbledon. Not because he's the finished article. But because he has the drive to win, the essential power is within him. He's a winner, he's a champion. And in every local church, we're not the finished article, but the essential thing is there in church members. We're in God the Father and in the Lord. Jesus Christ this is transformational for us not just for our view of ourselves, but for our view of one another we're called to love one another how can I love her she's proud she's abrasive she's cocky but she is in God the father then the Lord Jesus Christ he's snobbish he's always late he's slow on the uptake But he is in God the Father and the Lord, Jesus Christ. The spiritual dimension. And lastly, the ecumenical dimension in the greeting grace and peace. Paul here combines addressing both party segments within the congregation. The Jews who've been converted, the Greeks who've been converted. He uses the, the, the Greek greeting, grace, charis. He uses the Hebrew greeting, peace, shalom. Here are people from different backgrounds, different religions, but they've been brought together, united, cooperating, ecumenical in the right sense through salvation, Christ, and grace. And he wants that unity to be promoted and maintained. The grace comes first, God, in his work and love and mercy. The peace comes next. In our hearts as we receive the reconciliation in Jesus Christ. So, what does Paul want here? Grace to you and peace. Does he want them saved? No, they're saved already. So, what does he want? What's he asking here? Grace to you and peace. He wants them and us and local congregations to have a deepening appreciation of God's grace, the deepening experience of the resulting peace that that brings. It's tragic to see the Tory party fighting against themselves. They're in power. They've got a vast majority. What are they doing? They're going to destroy themselves. The apostle wants grace from the Greeks and peace from the Jews both of them, to live together in harmony. In our congregation, and in every local congregation, there's a range of groups. There's men and women, male and female, that's the same, same group, old and young, employed and retired, degrees and no degrees, shy and extrovert, some fit, some unhealthy, some gym bunnies, some couch potatoes, But those differences should be like spots on the sun. Being in Christ Jesus is the key thing, the main thing that should unite us together. Here then are church members. Then and now. Pastoral dimension. An historical dimension. A geographical dimension. A spiritual dimension. An ecumenical dimension. Let's apply these dimensions to ourselves, then to one another.